0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: I'm riding on my bike. I'm going round the block.
2: No, I can't cross the road. I'm not allowed to do that. I'm so happy you're... Good morning. Welcome to this week's edition of the Yarra Bustle User Group radio program for Monday, 27th of April. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which we transmit people-powered radio. Thank you to Democracy Now for the last hour of current affairs. My name's Chris and we've got Steve here as well. Now, Steve, you've got some observations about what's been happening out on our shared paths and roads because it's a very different type of rider out there at the moment getting out and uh, exercising during COVID-19.
1: I think a lot of people have rediscovered that bike that has been in the shed for quite a while. Yeah, this the spectrum has widened. Um, I'm seeing some of the usual faces, well, usual bikes. I wouldn't recognise anyone's face behind Sonny's and a helmet. And possibly a mask. Very few. There's a few masked ninja riders. Generally what I'm seeing is, that, well, first a lot of traffic. The okay. shared paths I am starting to dodge sections because there's just a lot of people and I think the weekend's like a you know weekend's still a thing even if you're not doing any work.
2: Well you shouldn't be riding in groups larger than two.
1: Yeah but there's a lot of family groups walking um obviously they're family groups that you know, live together so you get walkers you get everyone's walking their dog I think the happiest doggos are. At the moment, uh, you know, they're all being walked and everyone's out riding uh, that uh, wants to get some quick exercise. But, yes, a lot more traffic.
2: And would you say uh, a lot of the so-called shared paths that run along contour lines and like along creeks and the like, you would say they're not really fit for purpose at the moment for the amount of throughput, you know, like people walking and cycling?
1: Definitely overloaded with people the other day. Main Yarra and Derabin. Derebin Creek were getting pretty congested, pretty hard to maintain a distance.
2: And they're simply not fit for purpose. People do not want to ride on the roads because of perceived or real fears. So today I'm going to be talking to Dr. Ben Beck about a letter that is being um, sent from over 100 academics and groups. I think it's probably well over 100 by now about the need for immediate cycling provision in Australia. And uh, rolling out tactical stuff because, you know, I've spoken about this on at least three shows and it really needs to happen in Australia. What do you think, Steve, would be good places around, you know, Derebin, Yarra, quickly off the top of your head, Melbourne. What that could they do? Like, what streets?
1: Well, Melbourne's cracking on, City of Melbourne, are cracking on with their through lanes to sort of bisect across the city like, um, Latrobe Street, there's talk of something in uh St Kilda Road, so it oh, has been
2: talk for a while,
1: yeah. We'll be having none of that apparently at one stage from the state government, but may change. The thing that needs to happen is the it needs to be interconnected, and the adjoining suburbs need to look at where current infrastructure is and look at the through connections and start joining things up on the map.
2: So you're talking north-south, east-west, other things coming in. Because, you know, I go back a few shows. I had Phil Manus on the show talking about he was helping people out make uh, or create uh, routes for them to ride. Because, you know, you go into Google Maps and, you know, you you end up on the eastern freeway. Yeah, uh, these sort of things, there's, uh, I don't know, there's an absolute disconnect, I think, sometimes. with Yeah, yeah.
1: The... the... What Phil's doing is helping people navigate the environment we've currently got. Mm. Some of that route finding could be used to plan new routes, like some of the little scribbles that people have got to do. You've got to cut across here. You've got to go down this little bit of a street, whatever. Some of that can be used to plan future infrastructure. But this is the big, hard, like, butting up against conflicting interest things of you know, parking and motor vehicles use and stuff like that, that the uh, land managers... Okay, yeah,
2: speaking, speaking generally, though, like what what kind of streets or something could you come up with? Like, you think of the and Shimi in the inner north or somewhere coming in from the west. Be a lot more uh, friendly to people who've got kids or people who are not used to riding. Because, you know, you think about it, you don't want it to be next to... B doubles and fast-moving sports vehicles. Yeah,
1: the, the things like the Brunswick shimmy could be re, you know repainted and re-signed. All of the all of the adjoining so things like that where there's a conflict potential conflict points. So if you're if you've got a T intersection and it's currently a give way, maybe that should be made a stop. The signage and sight lines improved, stuff like that to make those routes work better even though they are on road for major mm. stuff that was getting back to what i was saying those, yeah so
2: those, like thinking of attorneys to johnson street yeah there's a lot of things where you could sit down with a map and just pull it apart couldn't you go look there's hardly any traffic on this street right now
1: yeah the... and
2: moving forward to a time where we want to use the magic words reopen the economy
1: yeah, having the crossings enabled, like, you know, if it's a ped crossing, you enable it with a bike lantern, so it all magically becomes a bike crossing as well, so it's not your, your riding on a pedestrian's space.
2: Yeah, and also getting rid of those beg buttons because... The, you oh, know, they're
1: germy, we don't want to touch them.
2: Yeah, well, you know, let's just be serious about it. You know, we've got to, you know, uh, we're living in a radically altered environment where things could crop up again. OK, up next, I'm going to be speaking to Dr Ben Beck about an open letter from health professionals and transport professionals about the need for increased cycling provision or walking provision as well during the COVID-19 pandemic. Australian music needs your help. Music festivals, concerts and local gigs have been cancelled due to coronavirus. Artists, crew and music workers have lost their jobs and don't know when their next gig will happen. We're all facing the sound of silence. But you can help. Visit thesoundofsilence.com.au now.
0: Dr Ben Beck, Senior Research Fellow in the School of Public Health and Preventative Medicine at Monash University and President of the Australasian Injury Prevention Network.
2: In the last month, over a month, we've seen some radical changes to people's behaviour in walking and cycling and um, this is due to like the COVID-19 restrictions. So where do you take your cue for, for um, get circulating this letter? In support of walking and cycling provisions in Australia,
0: well, I think exactly as you've articulated, we've all experienced this change in what's been going on on our streets and on our footpaths and and, and shared paths. Um, it's clear that uh, that physical activity is actually a really important component to our lives at the moment during this pandemic, and it's clearly supported as it's one of the four essential activities the, the Australian government recommends as part of this pandemic and as a result of that we've seen large increases in the number of people who have been walking and riding bikes um, around our, our paths and realistically it's, it's clearly highlighted to us that we have insufficient space there's just cramped room everywhere we are Uh, I've certainly experienced that in in my area. Um, I've got a 10-month-old son, and so trying to push a pram around the neighbourhood and even trying to ride a bike on shared paths with him is is simply really difficult uh, to do so. And everyone's really trying their best to adhere to, to physical distancing requirements, but the space that we've given to people who walk and ride is simply too cramped. And so what we thought was that we needed a united voice on this as i said this is a a phenomenon that everyone is experiencing we're clearly hearing from all of the walking and cycling groups that this is a problem and so we developed uh, a letter and had over 100 health and transport experts sign this in partnership with really key national organizations uh to call on government to 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 act and it needs to be a call to action right now
2: From a more general public perspective, people get um, frightened and uh, of using shared spaces because of this over you know overuse at the moment. But also, we've had high-profile incidents. You had um, that tragic thing back in um, February with the Castle Hill incident, in New South Wales. The whole family. We've had stuff down here in Melbourne. We just had another cyclist death this week. People hear them on the news and they go i can't possibly ride on the road i'm going to use a shared path that's just one scenario and we're finding these shared paths built to you know os roads regulations or whatever specifications are simply not fit for purpose
0: exactly they're very very narrow Exactly. That's exactly right. The the space is simply too cramped. And so as you're describing, we're kind of seeing these shared paths now as destinations. People are trying to flock to these areas for obvious reasons, in the sense that they are separated from motor vehicle traffic and and relatively safe. Uh, But because of that, we've simply got really large volumes on these shared paths. And exactly as you've described, they're simply insufficient.
2: And the thing being that Ausroads, I'm not you know, using them as you know, to castigate, but they've been built to these specifications over decades and they are simply too narrow for throughput of walking and cycling. Uh, yeah,
0: that's right. And I, th- I think, I mean, we've got obviously the issues with the shared paths, but it's also, this is very much a, a local issue. This is about our, our streets in our immediate neighbourhood as well. And so uh, I completely agree. I think we, we certainly need to think about how we can expand not just the size, but obviously the, the network and the connectivity of the network of our shared paths. But this is also just about our, our streets that surround our house, obviously for the majority of us. Uh, we're mostly confined to our houses and as a result of that most of the trips that we do are in our very immediate neighbourhood and so that's what we're talking about here. Yes. This is how can we change our streets in our immediate neighbourhood to facilitate our people and particularly our children to be able to move about these spaces in a way that is safe and enables people to hear to the physical distancing requirements. have got examples of across the world We've seen in Vancouver, Canada, they've turned well traffic streets into one-way streets. They're, they're closing certain local roads. Oakland in the United States closed 74 miles of its streets to, to cars and opened them up to pedestrians and people riding bikes. Um, we've seen it in Berlin, in Bogota, in Mexico City. So as you've described, there's examples of across the world of governments acting and acting quickly to facilitate...
2: I think this is a great time to build community during this coronavirus. Everyone is in this together. And I think it's a great way to open up to people around us and to reach out. For example, when you go out to your mailbox or go shopping, or go for a walk. Why not say hi to the people around you? A lot of people are already doing this, but I think um, the more people do it, the better. It's this little acts of kindness which will get us through this time. It's also very mutually beneficial and I think we should keep building community even after this time.
0: Australia is really lagging behind this front at the moment. We've seen numerous examples from across the world of successes in cities being able to roll out infrastructure really rapidly. So this includes places like Vancouver, Canada, Oakland in the US, Berlin, Bogota, Mexico City, so places really across the globe where they've been able to roll out rapid infrastructure for walking and cycling. So this is things like closing off streets um, and opening them up to, to pedestrians and people riding bikes, um, various types of temporary bike lanes, um, closing lanes to create one-way streets, things that are, that are feasible in an Australian context, but we just haven't seen any action.
2: Mm. So, uh, with this open letter, what do you want to see done? Like uh, its intent and outcomes and follow up. Um, do you want to see responses from the federal infrastructure minister, OSROADS uh, make implementation state governments or um, local yeah, this councils? Is
0: Exactly. I think what we're really trying to do here is uh, empower local councils to be able to act. And the challenge at the moment is that they can't. Um, uh, From what I understand, councils don't have the authority to take road space without the approval of the state or the territory. And so this is really hindering them being able to respond in in um, ways in which we've seen internationally. And so what we need to be able to do is rapidly give power to enable councils to act. And that's exactly what's happened in New Zealand and in the UK uh, recently so that um, so that, that these local authorities can make cars road free or can widen footpaths or can install temporary cycle lanes so this is really from our perspective the first challenge it's to get states and territories to rapidly provide local councils with this with this authority and then in addition to that then thinking about stimulus packages and funding models to be able to to support the rapid rollout and again taking new zealand as an example where they've done Exactly, that um, provided um, significant uh, funding for local authorities to be able to consider rolling out these kind of tactical urbanism type uh, interventions.
2: So, from a state perspective, let's use Victoria and New South Wales. Victoria, Vic Roads, and New South Wales, the RTA. Now, you know, they're the people that people, or oh, they're the organisations people should be lobbying.
0: Yeah. I mean, it really comes down to the ministers themselves. This is something that um, uh, either uh, transport or or even health or ministers or or the premiers um, can make a decision about. And as soon as they make this decision, then the powers are given to local councils. And so... I think where we need to be is focusing on, at this stage, really trying to work with our our local MPs and our state and territory ministers to be able to have this conversation and call on them to act and to act now. Uh, That's our our short-term goal and then obviously as we move uh, into the longer term we need to think about how we can support these modes of transport into the future. I think one of the challenges that we face in these times is that uh, and particularly when we start to think about some of these social distancing measures being relaxed is that people are likely to be hesitant in using public transport. Um, and the reason for this is that it's challenging to, to maintain some of those social distancing practices on public transport. And so if there isn't a significant shift to, to walking and cycling, then there's likely to be a, an increase in the use of private cars. Um, and obviously there's huge negative health, social and economic consequences of our reliance on private cars. Um, in in things like increased congestion, pollution, reduced community amenities. And so, again, coming back to this, there's there's the next phase, which is going to be when we start to relax some of these measures. Um, And obviously, we need to think about ways in which we can enable children getting to school um, using these modes of transport in a safe manner and similarly um, people getting to work. And then beyond that, then we need to think about um, long-term investment in this space. And we've certainly seen calls from across the country in um, certain organisations and cities considering uh, what used to be 20, 30, 40-year plans in in terms of um, cycling or walking infrastructure. And calling on governments and councils to try and roll these out in three to five years. Um, so this is kind of a, the, the stage approach that we can try and advocate for to support these modes of transport now and into the future.
2: G'day, I'm Janine and I'm a koala researcher. Koalas have had a tough year and so have we. We need some good news and they need some attention. The 3rd of May is Wild Koala Day. Share a picture of a koala on your social media, wear a gum leaf on your shirt and tag Wild Koala Day. Go to wildkoaladay.com.au for more ideas of how you can help koalas from home. A
0: 3CR supporter.
2: Yeah, and there's another lurking thing is that we're basically heading into a depression. People will not be able to afford three, four, five cars. I mean, this was something that came up recently. I think it was the 730 report, ABC, transport poverty, where areas where there is not adequate PT provision, people use cars and they're already stretched with people being stood down or the JobKeeper benefit or whatever's happening. The money is not out there for people to support private cars. Now this is where walking, cycling and mixed mode will come to the fore where you can give people some relief and options to yeah you know, for transport.
0: Exactly. I couldn't agree more with that. I think it's um, it's fundamental, as you said, in, in these times where we're likely heading into um, a, a large recession that we need to be able to, to support those. And I think it also raises the, the, the topic of, of equity yes. um, and how we need to be considering where we kind of roll out these interventions. And and the point that you've raised is exactly right, that um, particularly in some of these lower socioeconomic areas where there often is a higher reliance on, the motor vehicle perhaps that's where we need to be thinking about um uh those neighborhoods and 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 really starting our focus there so that we can um ensure that we have equitable access to to healthy and sustainable modes of transport
2: yeah so if people want to support this uh letter um I'm, i've actually after this interview there's a part of the show where i'll be reading out the letter in full um so how can people either get in touch or support this open letter
0: Yes, there's a, there's a number of different ways. So we, um, we, we lent on the, the leading health and transport um, experts and acknowledging that it was a rapid call out. So this is not um, a comprehensive list, but what we could pull together in a very short period of time. Um, But we have um, reopened um, that letter for for signing should there be uh, additional academics who who wish to sign or organisations that wish to sign, including um, cycling and walking advocacy organisations. And in addition to that, there's been a change.org petition um, that has been set up that already has a large number of signatures. Um, And so I believe if you search for the term uh, hashtag space for health, um, that the the change.org pe- petition uh, will become uh, uh, available. So we're urging everyone to sign that, urging everyone to get on board. Um, I think really we've seen and I've just been so pleased and so grateful to, to have such a, a unified voice on this. We've brought together so many diverse individuals and groups um, and, and we have an extremely sound and and comprehensive and consistent message from all of these types of organizations and individuals but the next step now is to make
2: government act yep so the letter can be read via an open google doc and we'll put that into the podcast description and uh anything you want to say in closing uh ben
0: no, I, I think it's uh, it's just such a, an important time at the moment. Um, and I, I think we all need to be having this conversation as much as we possibly can. Um, we've seen such big reductions in uh, motor vehicle traffic around our local roads. But nonetheless, uh, I mean, I, I myself am, am really feeling this when, when I walk around the uh, the streets with my 10-month-old son in a pram and, and the difficulties in trying to um, maintain social distancing, it's the same when you get on a bike, anywhere you ride, it's potentially either dangerous or extremely cramped. And so we really need government to, to act now. And um, this, as I said, this is such an important time for us, for our people, for our neighbourhoods, um, yes. and for our cities into the future. And um, I, I just think that, that if we don't act, we will, we will be harming ourselves well into the future.
2: Doctors, public health and transport researchers call upon government to enable safe walking and cycling during the COVID-19 pandemic and into the future. As doctors, nurses, public health and transport researchers, health promotion organisations and industry groups, we fully support individuals, communities and governments in their rapid and effective action in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. We recognise the importance of social distancing, with particular need to protect the most vulnerable. During this time, however, all our existing social and health risks do not simply go away. The Australian Government recognises this and has listed physical activity as one of the four essential activities. Walking and Cycling for Physical Activity and Mental Health Walking and cycling, whether for essential workers to commute to and from work or for the purposes of recreation, provide easy opportunity for physical activity and adherence to social distancing. Physical activity has substantial and wide-reaching physical health benefits, such as reducing the risk of cardiovascular disease, cancers, dementias and diabetes, and is also beneficial for mental health. Furthermore, safe cycling and walking will be imperative in reactivating our economy when social distancing measures are relaxed. This will enable people to travel to work and school using transport modes that are both safe and healthy. Walking and cycling for long-term social distancing. Walking and cycling are comparable with social distancing. Social distancing is frequently challenging to maintain on public transport, so shifting even a proportion of these passengers to walking or cycling trips will have infection control advantages that limit transmission. If there is not a significant shift to cycling and walking, there will likely be a commensurate increase in the use of private cars, leading to increased congestion, pollution, and reduced community amenity. Anecdotally, there has been significant increases in cycling and walking as forms of exercise during the COVID-19 pandemic, including children. However, current cycling and walking infrastructure is often inadequate in providing safety and sufficient space to facilitate the recommended 1.5 metres of physical distance between persons. This demonstrates the clear need for the rapid rollout of cycling and walking infrastructure in Australia. Reported decreases in motor vehicle traffic provide a unique opportunity to repurpose space usually allocated to motor vehicles for temporary infrastructure to support cycling and walking. Additionally, there has been some emerging evidence of increased deaths of pedestrians and cyclists, further demonstrating the need to act rapidly to support safe physical activity. Australia is lagging behind the rest of the world. There are numerous examples across the world of the rapid rollout of social distancing infrastructure to support cycling and walking during the COVID-19 pandemic. Measures have included reduced speed limits, widened footpaths, emergency cycle lanes, streets closed to motor traffic, or the removal of manual pedestrian buttons. New Zealand have recently introduced substantial funding to support the rollout of interim measures to make it safer and easier for people walking and cycling, and the UK have given local authorities the power to quickly and easily make roads car-free, widen footpaths or install temporary cycle lanes. As yet, we have not seen a similar response in Australia, despite the urgent need. Thus, we call upon decision-makers to take urgent steps to enhance walking and cycling during the pandemic through these or other measures to ensure that safe physical activity and social distancing can occur in our streets now and when the economy is reopened. This week's Yarra bosco User Group Radio Program should be podcast. Soon on 3CR.org.au forward slash podcasts or go to yarrabug.org forward slash radio if you want to find additional details what we discussed today. These podcasts are produced at Melbourne Activist Radio Station 3CR. Presenters are all volunteers and 3CR's existence depends upon the financial support of our listeners. Go to 3CR.org.au, click on the support tab. And select either donate, subscribe, shop, or fundraisers. Your subscription or donation keeps 3CR on air. On my bicycle, on my bicycle, yeah. I'm sorry, I Get on that bicycle and ride. Neat the sunny skies over along the ocean side.
0: 3CR would like to thank our Yarrabug program sponsor, Vacro Second Chance Cycles, for their financial support. Second Chance Cycles is a fantastic community workshop that recycles bikes, trains people in bike mechanics and sells bikes to the local community. To find out more, Google VACRO or drop into the
2: underground car park, Harmsworth Street, Collingwood, any Thursday or Friday. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast
1: produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.